a few years ago, I go to the beach. And at the beach, I'm, you know, I, I generally don't like the beach, but I'm learning to love it because my kids love it and all that stuff. And it's taken me a while, but I'm, I'm getting there. So as I'm at the beach, I notice about 20 feet next to me, there is a rotund man. He is big. He is fat. He is large. Really big guy next to me. And what makes, not that he's fat, I don't notice him because he's fat. I notice him because he's doing sit-ups. The heavy guy is doing sit-ups in the beach. And I looked over to him and I had one thought, and here was my thought. Too late. Like, it's no problem being fat, no problem doing sit-ups. I'm just saying, if you're looking for results, probably not the best time to start. You should have started a little bit earlier, right? I think that that, I think that, that is how we do suffering. That's how we do difficulty. We wait till we get there until we start dealing with it and addressing it. I think that that's how we do pain and how we do trials, that we get into a trial and then we go, well, now what do I do? Now what do I, okay, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. And I don't think that that's the healthiest way. I think that sometimes if we do that, we get the sense within ourselves too late. So today we're going to talk about trials and suffering but we're going to talk about it within the context of being in our community. We're starting a brand new series in the book of James. James was the brother of Jesus. James is one of the major reasons why I believe that Jesus is God. Because think about it. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he's God? Right? Quite a lot. Right? Yeah, you see, see how crazy that is. James believed that Jesus was God. And he didn't believe it when Jesus uh, walked the earth. He, he, he could only believe it after he came back from the dead. So I don't know. I, I know my brother. He's a good guy, but he's not God. But he'd have to come back from the dead for me to believe that he's God, right? And so James writes this letter to churches. And he writes this letter to churches, not to tell them how to become Christians, but now that they are Christians, how they should behave, how they should respond, how they should live with wisdom now that they're followers in Christ. Now, this is unbelievably important to us. Because now that you've come to Christ, now that you're following Jesus, now that you're pursuing Jesus, how do we do life together? And so today we're going to talk about being a community of suffering, a community that knows how to do life together in the midst of difficulties. Now, here's the thing about suffering. Here's the thing about, and when I use the word suffering, I want you to just kind of trials and suffering, I'm using them interchangeably. Like we go through various trials, that's what we're going to be reading about today. But I use the word trial and suffering interchangeably. I'm going to be using it interchangeably in this, um, in today's sermon. So when you go through trials, 
There are natural reactions to trials. There's a lot of natural reactions. But interestingly enough, one of the most knee-jerk responses to suffering is that when we suffer, we sue. In other words, when we suffer, we look to blame someone else. When we suffer, we look to find the reason for our suffering in someone or something else. In fact, this week, uh, everybody knows Popeyes and uh, Chick-fil-A are having like a war now, right? It's crazy, right? And so like they're delicious, right? Anybody try the Popeyes uh, thing, right? Oh, just a few. Okay, all right. All right, y'all not... Y'all are super healthy, I'm sure, I know. And so, yeah, so, so this guy, he went to several Chick-fil-A's. This is, I'm not making this up, this is actual, uh, yeah, Tennessee man sues Popeye's for running out of chicken uh, sandwich. It's a true story. No, it actually happened. Not only did my wife tell me, and I thought she was lying, but I was driving and listening to 1010 Winds, and I heard it then, I was like, I can't believe that was true. I said, this can't be true. He's suing them for $5,000. He thinks that if it's, you know, he probably thinks that, I don't know his motivation, but it, it's crazy. The point is, the point is, is that he's suing them because he had uh, his the wear and tear on his car traveling from place to place. His friends were laughing at him, and he felt like they were mocking him, and he was, he went through all sorts of turmoil and difficulty. Now, he obviously has no friends because somebody would have just came up to him and just said, hey, Bobby, listen, if you feel this much emotion about the, maybe it's not about the chicken. Maybe there's something else going on here, right? Maybe the chicken sandwich is not the biggest problem we suffer with today, right? Maybe. But that's what we do. When you and I suffer, we look to put the blame on someone else. Do you know that I've never lost a key in my life, but my wife has lost my keys a thousand times. Did you know that? I have never, ever misplaced a shirt, but all of my kids have lost my shirt at one point or another. My shoes, I've never put them in the wrong spot. But my family has lost my shoes more times than I can count. You know why? Because whenever you go through any difficulty, whenever you go through any trial, whenever you go through any circumstance that's unpleasant, you look to sue. You look to put blame on someone other than, other than pursuing God in the midst of our suffering for direction and even purpose. You see, because we're all going to suffer. Here's the truth, folks. Every one of us is going to suffer. If you are in this room and you love Jesus, you will suffer. And if you're in this room and you can't stand Jesus, you will suffer. And if you're in this room and you're somewhere in the middle, you will suffer. Every one of us will suffer. Every one of us will go through trials. Every one of us will experience the kind of heartache and difficulty that life gives. It's a part of life. You can't avoid it. The problem then is... If we're all going to suffer, the, not the problem, the question then is, is how then do we suffer? What's our response to suffering? Do we wait till we get to the beach of suffering before we start doing what's good for us? 
Do we wait till we, our lives are completely out of control before we start addressing this issue of suffering? Or do we as a community of believers come together and get real and start talking honestly about our suffering? Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you will suffer. I will suffer. And there are some of you right now who are suffering a great deal. Like even as I'm talking to you right now, I don't have to tell you about a suffering from the past. I don't have to tell you to be wary of the suffering. Right now, you are suffering and it is painful and it is difficult and you're not sure how you're going to get through it. Could be, could be physical suffering. Could, could be your marriage. Maybe, maybe you're watching your children run in a direction that is just bound for hurt and pain. Maybe your career isn't where you thought it would be. And that is giving you a great sense of pain and suffering. Maybe, maybe you're at the stage of life where you thought you would be further down the line, but addictions, relapses, setbacks, sins, they've all put you in a place where you're not nearly where you thought you would be. If you're here and you're suffering, I want you to know that God is for you. And that the reason for your suffering is not that he's left you. In fact, the suffering is proof that he's drawing you to himself. Because I don't know about you, but the number one way God gets my attention is through suffering. I promise you I wouldn't have the prayer life that I presently have now if I hadn't gone through the trials and the sufferings and the difficulties. Because, because we... In those circumstances, we know we need God more than ever. But when we face suffering, when we face trials, you know that sometimes we do not run to God? Do you know that many of us run from God? You see, the issue isn't are we going to suffer. The issue is what's our response to suffering? So, Today's big idea, I'm going to tell you early on and so you could leave um, if you want. Um, this is the big idea uh, for the day. It's this. Your selections, not your circumstances, determine how you suffer. The choices that you make, not the issues that you go through, determine how you suffer. Your selections... Not your circumstances determine how you suffer. This is so important, I want us to say it three times together. Can we do that together? Okay? I just want this to get in us. Because the choices that we make, because we know we're going to suffer, the choices that we make before and during are going to determine how we get through it. Or if we get through it at all. So let's read this together three times. One, two, three. Your selections, not your circumstances, determine how you suffer. One more time, two more times. Your selections, not your circumstances, determine how you suffer. One last time. Your selections, not your circumstances, determine how you suffer. Now, I want us to replace every time you see you or your with me and my, okay? Okay, so it's, it's going to read, my selections, not my circumstances, determine how I suffer. 
Okay, let's say that again twice. My selections, not my circumstances, determine how I suffer. One more time. My selections, not my circumstances, determine how I suffer. It's true. Going through hardships in marriage, body breaking down, whatever it is. Beloved, the choices that you make. Now, God knows that this is super duper important. God knows that this is crucial. And so he gives us many places in his wonderful Bible, many places where we could find out how to respond. One of them is in the book of James. And like I said, we're going to be in the book of James for quite a few weeks. We're going to go through the book of James chapter by chapter and seeing if God can't teach us. So it, one of the things that you could do to prepare your heart to get ready um, for the series, whatever verse I stop in, I'm going to start with the next verse in, next week. So you'll know where we're going. And so you can just, a great practice for you this week in responding to suffering or preparing is just to read the book of James over and over. Get it in you. Get it in you. Because difficulty is coming. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this book to churches. And here's... Here's what he says. Um, why don't we stand for the reading of God's word? We stand, if you're new, we stand each week for the reading of God's word because we want to remind ourselves, and we do it in bodily form, we want to remind ourselves that this has more weight than my opinions, than my feelings, that what we're going to read is more true than my perceptions. And so we want to remind ourselves of this. So we're going to read quite a bit. We're going to read from verse 2 to verse 18, quite a bit. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because one, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Liz, would you jump down to verse 12? Verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This, brothers and sisters, is God's word. Please have a seat. So the first thing we find out here is this thing called trials, suffering. I want you to know this, and this we've already touched on. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Trials happen. Now, this is super, let me just, eh, let me spend another 30 seconds, maybe a minute on this. There's probably never been a culture like ours, and I'm, I'm not just talking cultural like out there. I'm talking about a church culture like ours that is less prepared for trials than the culture that we're living in now. Every, every other culture throughout history expected suffering. Our culture, in Christianity in America, we get surprised by it. We think there's something wrong when we suffer. We think that this is not the way life is. And it is. So what happens is, is that you'll come You'll start serving Jesus, and something will happen. I mean, something really bad will happen. You'll get hit by life with something that we don't know. And when that happens, we go, oh, that's it. I'm out of here. Beloved, trials happen. Look what he says here. Um, Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, I don't know how those, how that statement, how that works together, that sentence works together. We're going to wrestle with that for a second. Consider, and what he's saying is, not consider every single circumstance in life pure joy. What he's saying is, consider the totality of your trial pure joy. And you go, Uh, No, because my trial, by very definition, is not a joy. If it was a joy, I would call it a joy, but it's not a joy, so I'm calling it a trial. I'm calling it suffering. I'm calling it, you get what I'm saying. But the fact is, is that James is on to something. He says, consider it pure joy because there's something that God is doing within the context of your suffering. Something that God is doing within the context of of your trial. And it doesn't matter what trial you, have you run out of money? Do you find yourself in a, in a terrible situation? Did your doctors give you bad news? Have you messed up again and now you find yourself in this terrible position? Are you the very reason for your trial? Did you know that God could even use your dumb ideas, your ridiculous things? Did you know that he could still use that for your good and his glory? James know that, knows that because he says this in verse 3. Because you know, hey, hey, hold on. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Why would you say that? Because, remember, when we see words, little words like because, or, and, if, therefore, take notice of that. He's giving us the reason for our joy. He's he's giving us a perspective that we don't presently have and that you won't have if you're going to the beach of pain 
and practicing on going, getting through your suffering there. He's telling us something beforehand. Because the, on the basis, so I could tell you that joy, you could consider the entire experience joy because you know, you're aware, to which we might go, um, maybe I didn't know. Maybe, all right, well, you know, I'm going to tell you, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We can look at it because the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Now, it's very, this word testing, um, it's a tricky word, so let's talk about it for a second, okay? Now, um, it's interesting, um, the same Greek word for testing is actually the same Greek word for temptation. The only way you know the difference is by the context, right? Um, which one is it, you know, which one is being used here? And so this one is testing. So you know how like, um, I, 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 you know, I, I find myself in meetings and things like that. And you know, you hear this said in meetings and, and in different places. You go, God don't test me. If he tested me, I would fail. Something like that. Have you ever heard something like that? I've heard that a lot of times, right? That God, no, 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 you're wrong. God does in fact test you. But God doesn't test you for the reasons that you think. In other words, God is not trying to trip you up. God tests us to prove us. The same here word, uh, the, the same word for testing here is the same word that you would use for smelting gold. You know what smelting gold is, right? So it's like, okay, so you have, you, you dig gold out of wherever you dig gold from, right? And then you put it in an incredibly, incredibly hot furnace where the dross and the impurities of the gold, what happens? They they either burn up or they float to the top. They get separated from the gold, right? And so what the, what the trial is doing is it's A, purifying, and B, proving. Purifying and proving. That means that you get two pieces of information, number or two, two benefits. One is that you get this thing called purification. In other words, you think you love Jesus? Just go through some suffering. And what you'll find is that there are areas in your heart, you're like me, there are areas in my heart that don't care for Jesus. There are areas in my heart that love some other stuff. Yes. And so when I go through trials, there's some fire, there's something, and I lose some of that connection with the other things that I hold on to, and I become more in love. My love for Jesus becomes more pure. That is a benefit. It, it purifies it, but it also proves it. Your trial will also prove something. So for instance, I've seen this a thousand times. Maybe, maybe today you've just come back um, to church after a long period of being away from God because something happened in your life and you ran from God. I remember a, a friend of mine growing up, he had, a, he was, this dude was the first dude who ever told me about Jesus. I thought he was insane. Like, I literally thought he was crazy, but he was on fire for Jesus. And he got, um, he started to date. He was in a band I was in. I played the guitar. I used to play the guitar. Well, I kind of play the guitar. But my point is, I was in a band, and it was a funk band. You want to know our name? It was the coolest ever. It was the best name ever. We were called, are you ready? Yes. Concept Black. Did you get that? Concept Black. That's not the coolest name you ever heard in your life? Concept Black. So cool. So, 
He was in my band. He was a bass player. He was a great guy. He fell in love with this, with this cute as a button chick, right? And she was just the love of his life. And she, oh my gosh, she was so adorable. And she broke his heart in like 50,000 pieces. Oh my gosh, she, she messed that kid's heart up. Well, as he went through that, now you're laughing too much for that, Rosalind. Okay, but so here's the point. After he got through that, and I'm telling you, he was on fire for Jesus for years. He literally, I remember him telling me a story that he was witnessing to his friend in high school and his friend threatened him. He's like, you sound like a dummy. I'm just going to knock you out or something like that. And he said, then you can because Jesus loves you. Like he was that, like he wasn't like, it, it didn't seem fake to me. It seemed like real genuine and real beautiful. But the threat didn't, see, the threat didn't prove or purify his faith. But you know what? That heartbreak did. And, and what we found in that heartbreak was that he was never a Christian in the first place. That it's possible to say Jesus and tell others about Jesus and come to church and talk your Christian language and eat your Christian cookies and, and listen, have years of clean time and do well and be faithful to your wife and make sure you pay your taxes and not love Jesus at all. That's possible. You know why? Because testing of your faith not only purifies, makes better, makes more wonderful, but it also proves. So maybe you're coming back today for the first time and I just described what the last 11 years was like. Because you were like, no, 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 no. See, the choice was between alcohol and Jesus. And that was an easy choice for me. Not a whole lot of choice. The choice was between enduring temptation and fighting against temptation or giving into it. And that was an easy decision for me. You see, temptation, uh, the trials rather, suffering, it's a test. But it's a test that, what does it do? There's two things that it does. One thing is that it purifies. And the second one is that it proves whether it's gold. You know what happens if something that's not gold goes into uh, uh, the furnace, right? It just gets burnt up. So now you have an opportunity to respond to Jesus, not because of what you think he's going to give you, but because he's glorious. You have an opportunity right now to respond to Jesus, even confess to Jesus that the reason I follow you is because you're like my sugar daddy. I will be down with you. I will pursue you. I will follow you as long as you give me what I want. And the moment that you don't, it's an opportunity to confess that, be broken by that, and turn to him and say, ah, yes. Ah, yes, you are glorious. Because you know that the testing, the purifying and the proving, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is so important. Our suffering is, is creating something in us. Anybody here, remember when you were like in the third grade 
You were like, oh my gosh, the third grade, the homework is so much, the, the classwork is so difficult. Did anybody ever have that thought? I remember having that thought like in third grade. And I had that thought all the way through third grade until I got to fourth grade. When I got to fourth grade, I remember thinking to myself, I wish I could go back to third grade homework. I wish I could go back to third grade. Because what had happened is that there, there was a, a, a mental muscle, a strength, and a, an endurance, a perseverance that was produced in me. And then, and I said, oh my God, fourth grade is so impossible. This is so hard. This is so difficult. Until I got to fifth grade. And then when I got to fifth grade, fourth grade was an easy thing. You get what I'm saying? Your, your suffering is producing something. It's creating something. It's doing something. God wants to. Who here has ever prayed, Lord, make me like Jesus? Is there anybody here? Just make me like Jesus. Make me like Jesus. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's a way he does that. And it looks like fire and burning and dross like being melted away. I mean, I've prayed so many times, Lord, make me like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And he knows, he knows that he's growing my heart for that. He's drawing my heart. He's doing that in my heart. He's doing that. And so he goes, Edwin, I got a way to do that but it hurts. God is doing something. When you're suffering, it's not meaningless. He's producing something in you. He's doing something that could not be done if the suffering had not been there. I am more attached to my wife today, not because time has passed, but because of the suffering that has happened that we've both shared during that time. And I'm more attached to Jesus because of the suffering. He's doing something. It does something. What's the, what does it do? Produces perseverance. But it doesn't end there. If you let perseverance finish its work so that you become, and then he gives us three things that kind of mean the same thing. They finish their work. and it produ Watch this. It's, perseverance finishes its work so that you may, may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. Mature, Complete, not lacking in anything. In other words, so that you could be whole. So that you could be you. Our lives are so split. We're so compartmentalized. We're this way at work. We're this way at home. We're this way with the fellows. We're this way with the girls. But God is, no, no, no. I want to make you, I, I want to make you a person of integrity. I want to make you whole, complete. All that I want for you. And the way I do that is through suffering. That's what he does. Why? Why? Because he loves you. So, we go through it, and then in verse 5 he says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Okay, so, what that means for us is that when you and I go through suffering, when we go through difficulty, especially, listen to me, Especially self-inflicted wounds. Anybody ever has ever done a self-inflicted wound? Right? Yeah, three of you. Okay, great. All right, let me speak to the three of you then. Right? Have you ever, in other words, have you ever hurt yourself by your own decisions? Okay, anybody ever hurt themselves with their own decisions? Okay, great. Self-inflicted wounds. Okay. If you've ever done that, if you've ever done that, 
you th- there's a shame that comes over us. We go, I can't believe you're so stupid. Why did you do that? Why did you choose him? Why did you choose her? Why did you choose that? Why did you go that direction? You knew he was no good. You knew she was trouble. You knew over and over and over, you just beat yourself up. And here's what God is saying here in this text, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. You and I don't know why we're going through the suffering. Here's an idea. Don't move to shame. I'm gonna give you another, another category to move in when you experience pain and suffering. Not shame, I want you to move towards curiosity. I want you, when you suffer, I want you to not get shameful, I want you to get curious. Like don't, like, and, and I don't care what the, what the trial is, what the difficulty is, maybe, listen to me, maybe you're going, your trial is a temptation that won't leave. It's a temptation that won't go away. Okay. Follow your search engine statements. You go, oh, you have this, you know, whatever, whatever your temptation is. Let's say it's uh, pornography. Follow your search engine. Because that will point to the very issue that God is trying to address. Because when we address our temptations, our trials, our tests, when we address them with shame, we never get to the point where we actually bring them to the Lord to deal with. So when you're questioning your gender or your sexual identity or you're looking for things that are, beloved, when that's happening, you can ask the question, God, God, why? Why this? Why do I struggle with, why do I struggle with my sexuality and not with money? Other people struggle with money. Why do I struggle with my sexuality and not with money? Be curious about that. Jesus, there's something here. You're trying to point something out. You're trying to, you're trying to prove and you're trying to purify something. There's something here that you're just. Why do I move to crack and not to workaholism? There's something here. What is it in the crack? What is it in the temptation? What is it that allures me to it? What is, that, what is it that if I get it, that I use the crack to get this thing? It's the thing behind the thing. You see what I'm saying here? Because when you're going through a trial, if you just move to shame, what you'll find is that you'll be stuck. And I'm not talking about like stuff stuck for the rest of the day. You could spend the whole lifetime stuck. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Now, pause. Look up at me, because a lot of people have misunderstood this. I, honestly, I didn't understand what this meant. I thought, are you like me? I, when I read this um, statement, before this, the, this week when I started to do my deep dive in the study of this text, when I read, do not doubt, I, I intuitively, in my mind, and don't believe otherwise. Don't allow any questioning of God to come through. But that's not at all what this is saying. What this is saying, the word doubt here is the word um, for um, like um, divided loyalties. You, you know what divided loyalties are, right? So if you, listen to me, if you have, right, if you're, if you're a 20-year-old girl and you have a boyfriend in Brooklyn, 
and a boyfriend in the Bronx. <laughs> and they both ask you out on the same day. You have divided loyalty. Do you understand? Like what we're saying is, is that at that point, oh man, I can't believe what the time it is. Um, okay, so at that point, what, what it is, is that there are two things that are tugging on your heart. Your affections are pointing to something. So when we go to God, when we go to God and we have, that doubt is divided loyalty. When we go to God and we have the divided loyalty, you can't expect much because if God doesn't give it to you, you'll get it from somewhere else. You already got your plan B all started out. You already got your plan B all mapped out. You see, this is not helpful. So how do we respond? How do we respond? How do we respond? Okay, first, you know, we respond knowing that trials happen. The second thing that we respond is that, um, I'm just going to have to race through this whole thing. Uh, response to trials matter. Your response, it's not that what happens, it's your response to what happens. And your response is connected to your perspective. You've got to have the perspective that God is producing something. He's producing something. Okay, let me give you an illustration about perspective. Okay, um, when you're suffering, right? So there's a, and, and I heard this story years ago. I have no idea who to attribute it to. It's not mine. I didn't invent it, but just know that. Okay, so um, there's a man in uh, China like a thousand years ago. He's a farmer, and one day, um, he, he's a farmer. He doesn't, you know, he's a very poor farmer. He has to break up the ground and do all this other stuff, but he's old. He only has his son. It's a difficult life. You get, you get the scenario. One day, a horse, a horse walks up to his house and stays there. And he goes up to the horse. Now, if you're a farmer, and it's a thousand years ago, you just got a tractor. You just got like, you know, you just got like an amazing gift. Like he's just like, wow. So he goes to his neighbor and he tells his neighbor, would you believe the good fortune? I got a horse. Isn't this great? And this neighbor replies, maybe good. Maybe bad. He goes, well, okay, Debbie Downer, uh, I'm going to take my horse and I'm going to plow the fields and I'm going to do everything that I need to do and I'm going to get the place ready. Well, what happens? It's just him and his son. So his son gets on the horse and they make a makeshift plow and they're breaking up the ground. And as the horse is working on, walking on, you know, slightly uneven soil, the horse falls, landing on the son's leg. And it breaks his leg. Now the father, who's elderly, has no way of preparing his land for the crop, for the season of crops. And he goes to his neighbor, who was the Debbie Downer. And he goes, would you believe how terrible this is? The horse that, was, that, that came to the house that we were so excited about fell on my son's leg, broke his leg in a bunch of places. He's incapacitated. He can't do anything. How are we going to eat? What are we going to do? And he says, isn't this terrible? And his neighbor says, maybe good. Maybe bad. And he's just, oh, forget you. And then war breaks out in China. And they need all the able-bodied men to go off to war in order to fight for their land. The men of the town get recruited and they go off to war and it's a massacre. Not one comes 
back. And he goes to his neighbor. And he says, my son, the horse that came broke the leg. And therefore, when they came over, you know, there's like no, uh, he couldn't go because his leg was broken. So they skipped over, you know, his 4F. And, he, you know, he couldn't uh, go. And then everybody died. Isn't that an amazing source of fortune? And the, and the old man goes, maybe good. <laughs> maybe bad. And we could take that story 50,000 more times, right? Because your perspective matters when you suffer. And if you think that your suffering is because God hates you, if you think that your suffering is because God wants nothing to do with you, if you think that your suffering is somehow making you not in favor with God, then you will go through your suffering wrongly. You need the perspective that brings us back to God is producing perseverance. And we are to go to God not with plan B's, not doubting, not with not with divided loyalties, but so this is one way we go through suffering. We don't go through it with divided loyalties. We go, God, I got no other plans. I got no other plans. I am going to pursue you. I'm going to throw out the Verizon wireless at home because I know if I need to get on the computer, I can walk to the library but I know that the Verizon wireless on my computer is causing me to face many trials. You see, you see, God is, and then once we got rid of the Verizon, and then we could go, God, why? Why Verizon? Why not her? Why not it? Why not that? Why not this other thing? Why that? Ah, oh, there's a reason. There's a reason. Get curious about it. Because here's what you need to know. Our responses to suffering only, listen to me, they only reveal they don't produce. Our responses to trials, difficulty, and suffering only reveals what's on the inside. It doesn't create it. It just reveals it. You know how like, if you're married, if you're married, you're good at this. Why are you mad? Anybody know if you're, a if you're a spouse? Anybody know why you're mad? Because of what your spouse did. It's not you. It's them. That's why I'm mad. But when we live like that, we don't, we don't grow in perseverance like God wants us to. I wanted to illustrate that for you. So I decided to get ketchup. Anybody know what this is, right? Heinz ketchup. Heinz tomato ketchup. You wouldn't believe how much sugar is in this thing. It's unbelievable. But there you go. It's Heinz ketchup. But this is not just Heinz ketchup. This is also you. And so when you and I, I forgot to do this earlier. I should have done this earlier. So when you and I go through temptation and trials and difficulty, we get squeezed. There's pressure. There's difficulty. Let me ask you something. Quick question. What do you think is going to come out of this bottle when I squeeze it? Anybody know? 
What is it going to do? What's it going to do? Is there anything that's going to come out of here other than ketchup? Okay. Is there anything that's going to come out of here other than bitterness? Is there anything that's going to come out of your suffering other than resentment? Is there anything that's going to come out of your suffering other than jealousy? Because that's not what God wants for you. You're producing something, but he wants to produce something else. He wants to produce something else. You know why? And that's why he's teaching us about how to make choices before we suffer and even during the suffering. You know why? Because your selections, not your circumstances, determine how you suffer. It's all the time we